Hi, everyone. My name is Kate. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Tay. And you are listening to ArtWise. That is so cool. I've never used this platform before, and I didn't. I was like not expecting the theme music to come through. Oh yeah, Zencaster is awesome. I highly recommend it if if you're looking to start a podcast. It's really cool. Uh, but anyway, hi everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Artwise. Back at you again. Happy Tuesday. If, I guess unless you're not listening on Tuesday, but the episode comes out on Tuesday. So happy Tuesday for those of you who are listening when the episode comes out and happy whatever day it is for anyone else. We have a very special guest today. We have Nicole. Say hi. Did you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of explain a little bit about what what you're about, what your background is, and what you're here on ArtWise to talk about? Yeah, definitely. I guess to start, I'm actually born and raised Georgia Peach from Atlanta, Georgia, and I now find myself living in New York City. I have been just like doing art and being creative and expressive as long as I can remember pretty much, and I kind of started off expressing that creativity through like martial arts, like specifically Taekwondo, and did that for many years. Uh, wanted to go to the Olympics, suffered an injury and could not compete. But <laughs> I know I did my share of angsty teen writing growing up. Um, lots of writing about unrequited crushes I would have on straight girls back when I was still very closeted and confused <laughs> why I just really badly wanted to be friends with them. <laughs> And, you know, I'm really happy now to be doing filmmaking and to be writing and directing a lot of my own stories. And I still bring a lot of that creativity to my current role and everything that I do in like the blockchain and decentralization space where I do like decentralization education on TikTok at Decentralized Future. And I continue to use a lot of that creativity in just doing marketing for the Near Foundation. That is awesome. So I was super excited to have you on. I've had it. Well, everyone who's listened to the podcast says we've had a couple, a few NFT artists here and there, but I don't think we've had anyone come on that specifically talks about decentralization, like that aspect of it specifically. So I'm I'm really curious. But before we get into the the interview questions and everything, I was wondering if you could maybe just kind of briefly explain you know like as if you were talking to someone who was completely new to this didn't know anything about web3 decentralization nft DAOs, all that stuff could you like go over like the topics that you're going to be talking about like the kind of web3 vocab anything to like someone who's completely new to it like just to kind of give like a brief description of like what that is yeah, no, I absolutely love doing this. And I think other than being an artist and being creative, I really, I love just doing education. I love making this space like more accessible, like when it comes to like me feeling like I'm achieving my greater purpose on this earth. So I think jumping into decentralization, like very, very broadly, decentralization is just a way of thinking about power. And I think it's safe to say that 
the majority of our world right now is very centralized, in, both in terms of like structures, but also in terms of the flow of power and the flow of capital and anything and everything in between that. So when I think about decentralization, I think about structures, technology, communities that can be constructed in a way where power fundamentally is being decentralized or democratized. So I think when I jump into like, I always hesitate to like say the word blockchain, but I know, and there are some folks that are like, I just won't even say that because it just turns people off. But I think it's actually a really helpful place to start in the sense of like, okay, so in our web two world, we have like internet technology, right? And then an application of internet technology is Google, Facebook, Yahoo, et cetera, right? And so what we're seeing in Web3 now is blockchain technology and applications of blockchain technology being cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, but also NFTs and DAOs and plenty of like this whole suite of decentralized applications that can live in the world now. So that's kind of how I like to frame a lot of the world and a lot of this jargon is like blockchain being just this underlying infrastructure and technology that enables all of these cool applications to work. That's a really good way of putting it. I wouldn't have thought to explain it that way. As someone who relatively, I guess everyone who's kind of in the Web3 space is new, I'm trying to like inform myself as much as possible before I really dive in because there is a lot to learn, like really like before anyone like gets started, I, I'm sure you'll agree. There's like a lot of, of research just to even understand how it works because it is like so new. Is there like a way that you would recommend someone, whether it be like me or an artist who is like new, new, like doesn't know anything about Web3 to kind of like start doing research and start like learning about these things, new things, fun internet things. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can absolutely follow me. On okay. But you know, like shameless plug aside, I actually really, really love this YouTube talk by Gary Lachance. Who, and I got to see him give this live at a conference. He's the founder of the Dogecoin Foundation. And <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, like, I was so icy about Dogecoin period. I was like, this is a shit coin. I don't know. Can I say that? I was like, yeah, this is a shit coin. It has no value. Like it, they're just, you know, money for the sake of money. There is nothing behind this at all. And the more, and getting to actually listen to that talk by Gary LeChange, which you can find on YouTube, which is called From Ecosystems to Ecosystems. So what I, I love about it and as I started to get deeper into learning about Dogecoin is that it's really modern day Dadaism. <laughs> you know, it, it takes the ridiculousness of an image like Doge. And what I love that Gary does is he holds up a sticker of Doge and he's like, this is the modern day Mona Lisa. Imagine our currency could be, this could be the face of our currency. And like he's fully, fully serious when he says this. And I think that what's really beautiful and poignant is that all of our financial systems, every, almost every system that we have is, is socially constructed. And it only exists because we believe that it exists and that we trust that it works or trust that it, that it you know, holds some sort of power. And I think that it is, it's such a fascinating 
talk that he gives because it really gets at the core of decentralization values, which I don't think it talked about enough. And that being the importance of community, love, compassion, creativity, play, exploration. All of these are core really to human experience and what humans need to thrive and live in cooperative societies. Not to get too sci-fi about it, but like I do truly believe we are right now in the greatest experiment of our lifetimes and of humanity. And this is that, that opportunity of like, will we make the next evolutionary hurdle? Will we be able to overcome overcome capitalism as a structure, will we be able to see the potential for cooperation from human to human, community to community in the effort of building a more equitable future? Yeah. Wow. That's, I didn't think of it like that either. See, this is why like, I love having people like come on <laughs> and tell me about this stuff. Cause like, uh, you know, every, everyone, who's into it's kind of new and looks at it in a different way. And it's funny that you br bring up Dogecoin too. I'm going to tell you a secret. I guess it's not going to be a secret for much longer. It's going to be on the podcast. But I bought Doge as like a joke. I was like, oh, haha, little, little Dogecoin. Oh, so funny. I will throw money at it just for the meme. And I forgot about it. And then when it like went up to 60 cents, was that in 2020 or was that last year? I forget. It went up to like, it went from like less than a penny all the way up to like 60 cents. And I was like, once it hit 60 cents, I sold right before it dropped. And I made like $6,000 because like a couple of years ago in 2019, I was like, I'm going to throw 50 bucks in here. <laughs> oh God, yes. <laughs> Yes, that is so, that we we need to hear more about. That was that was the start of me being like, okay, this is legit. Like this is like, and I know obviously that's like not a success story that everyone has, mm -hmm. but it was what really started to get me into crypto because I was making like I've always kind of been interested in it. I started in probably like 2019, right before COVID. And I got really into it. Obviously, like everyone kind of being stuck at home and not having anything to do but learn new things. I kind of like was like, oh, I'm gonna get really into crypto. I'm gonna get really good at it. And I'm gonna try and, you know, make some money somehow. <laughs> and that's, that's what I did. And uh, ever since then I totally agree with the things have value because we give them value. Mm -hmm. Because before thinking like, oh, it's like, this is so funny. I'm just going to throw 50 bucks in here just so like I can tell people that I'm holding Doge and not lying. And then <laughs> it just completely spiking up like crazy. I love that. It's it's really like such a good way to look at it. Yeah, and it's purely value that just like we as these weird humans just attribute to exactly. the thing. We're just like, we all believe it has value. And then it's just like, it does. It has yeah. the value. I love that so much. It's like my favorite. I'm, I love crypto. I'm, I've been super into crypto. I'm new to NFTs, which is weird because I'm an artist. So you would think that I would get into that first. But I got into crypto first. Because of that, pretty much, I got really into it after that happened. And I just, I, I love it. I love it so much. I, and I wholeheartedly like agree with everything that you're saying too. And I wish that 
more people would kind of like look into it more and do more research because I feel like there is a lot of like propaganda and stigma around crypto and NFTs and Web3 and people saying that it's a scam and it's like, well, is it really, could it really be a scam if people are getting this much, like finding this much success with it and like, It's just, it's truly, it's truly amazing. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to ask you, like, if you have gotten any hate for, like, yes. support. But I, I'm curious, like, if you've gotten any hate from your immediate community or friends or anything for, like, liking crypto or being into NFTs. Yeah. Me. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't really... I'm like in the middle of like a weird kind of spiritual awakening. So I don't really have a lot of real life friends like at the moment. I'm really really focused on on work right now, as I should say. I'm focused on this podcast, which I you can call it work. I don't make money off of it, but you can you can say it's work. I'm really focused on like the podcast and I'm focused on like, you know, my business. I do freelance graphic design and illustration and So in real life, I have experienced a little bit of that. Like I remember at Christmas with my family, my cousin's husband was sitting there because I was telling my, my, my grandma, because she was asking me, she was like, well, why didn't you like want money this year for Christmas, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't want the US dollar. I just don't trust it anymore. I don't think- Have you seen the hyperinflation (laughs) that's coming? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I just don't trust the US dollar. So, you know, if you want to like Venmo me and I can like, you know, put it directly, you know, into like, my metamask wallet that'd be nice or you know phantom or something else i just don't and like my cousin's husband overheard me and he was just like that's a scam you're gonna lose all your money blah 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 (laughs) he was just like calling me an idiot in front of my whole family and it was just like i've had that kind of situation because i'm sure like going to like family functions or like things like that there's always going to be like people that disagree about something like that or they make it like super political and but on TikTok specifically I wasn't even actually talking about web3 or nfts or anything it was actually the video that I posted basically like I don't know casting call is the right word but basically asking artists if they would like to come on and talk on my podcast and talk on artwise and uh, I got uh, a lot of hate just didn't even mention by word NFT artists. I just had it in writing in the video and I got a ton of hate from that. I had people stitching the video, you know, saying I had this one girl, I've I've talked about it on the podcast a little bit before, but I had this one girl with, I, you know, and I'm, I don't have a huge following. I have like a thousand followers on TikTok. And there was this one girl had like 60,000 followers, like stitched my video and was telling people to like go hate on my account and report me and that I'm like because like obviously nothing better to do my goodness it was I was so and it really affected me bad because people were saying that like I'm profit over people and that I'm giving a platform to NFT artists and that makes me a horrible person people were going as far as to call me slurs as well which I was like this is not even you know, and like, I was, I was really upset about it for like a couple of days. And then I was like, you know what, like, it's not my, 
responsibility to try and like educate people who don't want to be educated on this and like in in Mm -hmm. the future when it does get to be like the thing because you know everyone thought web 2 was kind of scary with all those like emails where people were like you know trying to like what are those like scam emails and like like the nigerian prince exactly yeah people would fall for those emails too and it's like all new things have like scams like even things that aren't you know, Web3 or like crypto or NFT related, like they all have that too. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. and so it's just like, it's crazy to me that people like will straight up like villainize you for supporting something that they clearly haven't done their research on, clearly don't understand how revolutionary this can be and how helpful and beneficial to not just artists, but like people in general, which is another reason I was excited to have you on because I feel like we're on the same wavelength there. (laughs) I know, totally. And I think the the, the thing about this emerging technology, about blockchain technology, decentralization, about NFTs, DAOs, et cetera, is that they're coming. They are coming and it is inevitable. And if you choose to not educate yourself about it, if you choose to, if you're already in the space and you choose to exclude people from it, if you choose to like not support them and bash people that do, the technology is going to become mainstream regardless. And so that's really where, for me, I feel like as someone who has been like a longtime champion of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I can see three to easy, three to five years from now, what's going to be important in society and what's going to drive business and diversity, diversity, equity, inclusion is there and web three is there, all of this, all of this technology. And, and it's so interesting, like about scams, because it's almost because you see the scams that you know that the revolution's coming. Like, I hate to sort of like frame it in that way, but it's like the only reason why these scams work is because they know that there's a ready population of people that are uneducated about it and that they can take advantage of the fact that the technology is still new and that people don't know. So I actually see scams as part, as a very necessary part of innovation. It, I mean, what was it like? I think wasn't the first thing bought over the original web two internet, like a bag of weed. <laughs> I think I, read, I seriously read that somewhere, you know? I don't know. That sounds probably true though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that like pizza or something like that. But you know, I, I do think that even though scams are like a necessary part of what will become mass adoption of this technology, it doesn't make them any less like scary to the everyday person. It doesn't make it any less scary to the work that I'm trying to do in education and in trying to get this technology into the hands of marginalized communities. Because the first thing that people see about this space is that it's for it's for crypto bros, degens, and scammers. And the message that they're getting is, oh, well... Y'all are just recreating the same broken, misaligned incentives from Web 2 capitalism and just making it more efficient in Web 3 capitalism. And while there are certainly projects that will try to do that, for me, like the real potential, and as someone who's like a social justice advocate, the real potential is to use the technology in a way where communities can become self-governing and autonomous and where everyday people can be returned the power over their data and their everyday choices in life and where mega corporations don't need to be the default of 
how power and economies are sustained in this world. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it gets heavy, no, talking, because it is like, it's crazy how, how do I frame this in words that come from my brain? See, for, and I say this, like every episode, for someone who has a podcast, I don't know how to like put, string my words together in a way that makes sense. It's, it's just, it's like, I don't know how to like frame it other than like, it's like revolutionary I this that's part of why I wanted so badly to like include it as much as possible on you know this podcast because not to say that it's like specific to artists because like I and I'm sure you agree like see the potential for it to be like much 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 more than just people selling jpegs <laughs> over the internet I mean, there's so much potential to seriously give communities more control over what happens to them like you imagine every single community on this earth that is constrained by the fact that somebody else holds the power of the purse so a project that i'm really interested in is well so i, I went to wellesley college and I'm really interested in decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs for like college alumni, because like you imagine every single time your university comes and like asks you for a donation, right? And this also applies for essentially any nonprofit as well. You have no idea whether or not your money actually goes to the cause that they claim that it's going to go to. And so you imagine that there's this huge mismatch in terms of the transparency around where money actually flows. And the fact of the matter is that us, the everyday people that are contributing that money, we are not part of those conversations. Like we just send it into like this black hole and then we just like trust that the institution is going to do the right thing for, for like, or as they say that they're going to do. So can you... Can you talk a little bit more about DAOs and like what they are? Because I don't think I've actually brought DAOs up on the podcast yet. <laughs> so can yes. you kind of explain what they are? A hundred percent. And like, I, I think that if you are a radical person, like listening to this podcast, like learning more about DAOs is for you. And so I guess to start, as I mentioned before, DAO stands for Decentralized autonomous organization. This is just a really fancy way of like referring to an everyday organization that or like a, a community, right? And the only difference that makes it like web three, quote unquote, is the fact that it's decentralized. So meaning that most corporations, they have like a hierarchy, like a pyramid, right? Where this where power is centralized at the top. Because a DAO is decentralized, you have the potential to do things like one person gets one vote for where some sort of like capital should be allocated. The fact that it is also autonomous and offers this sort of transparency layer means that after you've chosen to say like one person, one vote, I wanna the community wants to put the funds towards this project, then everyone can see publicly both how things were voted on and see that money actually reach the end person that it's meant to, to reach. So the reason why I really love DAOs is imagine every single project, like every community project, every sustainability project, even like medical and scientific research that 
cannot get funded because it's not inherently profitable under capitalism. DAOs are an opportunity for communities to be self-governing and self-determining in where they want that value to go. And it does not need to be like in quote unquote incentive aligned with making the maximum profit. It can just be incentive aligned in terms of what is the absolute best use of the funds to create public service, public goods and services, or to maximize social good for the community itself. That's actually crazy. That's did I convert cool. you? <laughs> yeah, no, like that's super cool. Like that's yeah, I didn't really know that much about DAOs, but that's that sounds like really potentially really awesome. So I kind of want to pivot a little bit and talk a little bit more about art and like your like filmmaking background. I want to know like how how like what is the story behind that? How did you get into and get started with filmmaking. And also like, how did that transition into like your kind of emphasis on the decentralization education? Like how did that transition look? look? Yeah, so, well, I'll start by saying like, if you're ever watching a movie with me, I'm like that person that's like talking throughout the entire movie. So uh, I'm always like calling it like, oh my God, that was such a fantastic like continuous shot. Like look at like the color composition. That's me for better and for worse if you're watching a movie with me. So I've always had that sort of like analytical brain and I just love picking apart. Like I would do this even, I, I was an English major, so I would, love doing this with poetry and with novels that I was reading as well and short stories, which is like getting really into the weeds and just seeing how these like artistic layers get built. I love it. And I actually got into filmmaking the last year of my master's degree. I was not getting an MFA, funny enough. I was actually getting a master's of public health and I was studying social epidemiology, which is effectively the epidemiology and the, the kind of the statistics and biostatistics around how social inequality impacts how long you live. Oh, that's that's interesting. <laughs> yes. No, it, it's such a cool and beautiful field. But I will also say like it was pretty like disheartening, I think, like a lot of the things that I was learning because I would just I would often just be sitting with myself and just saying like, well, the only way to like improve the system can't just be to work the system from inside out. Like there has to be something else. And like, that's all, that's kind of, it was interesting because my, the birth of my filmmaking career was really at the same time that I was really getting into decentralization from that perspective of like, okay, well, I don't want to just go and fix the broken systems. I actually want to make new systems altogether. Why not? And I ended up, as part of my course, learning about this concept, my course in social epidemiology, learning about this concept called the weathering hypothesis and how essentially there's a cumulative cost to just coping with bullshit. <laughs> and by bullshit, I mean like systemic racism and sexism and homophobia, like just in your everyday life. Like there's actually a measurable stress cost to you that affects your mortality at the end of the day. And it was really from learning about that, that I was like, holy shit, what would it look like for there to be like an intervention for that? 
And I ended up coming up with this like three episode web series called Law and Order White Fragility Special Victims Unit. And in which I play a detective that comes in and like rescues people of color from like racist interaction. And it just so happened that one of my friends at my program, like she was roommates with someone who was at the graduate school getting his MFA at Columbia. And so she kind of put us in touch and he became like my my cinematographer for, and he still is my cinematographer for a lot of my projects. So that's kind of, I know it's sort of chaotic, but I, I think that that question at least helped me realize that, yeah, actually my filmmaking career and my decentralization rabbit hole journey truly began, began at the same time in uh, 2017. Oh, wow. That's, that was a while ago. I know it doesn't seem like that long ago. Like <laughs> it doesn't feel like that long ago, but like in the scheme of like like thinking about like how much this stuff has grown in the past like 2 years alone, like you were really really early, I feel. That's crazy. Not early <laughs> enough. Never early enough. That's the thing about this space too. It's just like constant battle of like FOMO. The funny thing about FOMO is that if you just accept that FOMO is just part of like the crypto blockchain decentralization journey, then I think it actually helps you to focus in on what you really want out of the space and really what you're passionate about in the space. So, you know, you can't be everywhere all at once. And the best thing to do is just to actually be super intentional about where you want to be spending your time and energy. Yeah. I feel like my my dog Luna here is just like, she's like clapping. Yeah, that's kind of, that's really cool. So I guess that you kind of like answered this question already, but like, uh, have you, have you worked on like films or, or projects that like kind of combine, you know, decentralization and like filmmaking together? Not yet. I have a few like sci-fi scripts that I've been working on that do kind of explore some of like Web3 future type of stuff. But, you know, I I would love to be able to dig more into that. I think as many artists, I really started my filmmaking journey like in poking into stories that were really just my own and starting with my own story and then kind of moving out from there. And I would love to be able to like work with someone I've been seeking. Okay, I, I will confess to you, Kate. I've been seeking a creative partner for a very long time. And it's just been something where well, I've been dating my current partner for almost eight years now. And there's so many overlaps in terms of like, romantic partner and like creative partner and it's it's like I wish that there were easier ways of doing like creative dating but I just feel like those opportunities have been few and far between for me I I feel like I have a lot of ideas but sometimes I can get really stuck in my head and just that that analytical brain being like no don't do that it's gonna be horrible or like this is like so cliche it's been done before (laughs) you shouldn't do it (laughs) then I feel like when I am brainstorming and spitballing with someone else it helps to to free up my head from some of those more like anxious critical thoughts yeah 
I, I can tell you, you're not alone there. I know a lot of other creatives feel the exact same way, myself included. I mean, like I'm out here doing season two by myself. I never thought that I would do a podcast by myself. I don't know how much of season one you've listened to, but I had a co-host and that was great. And I love having a co-host. But for some reason, the past couple, because this is my second podcast that I've done, and this is the second season. Well, I guess technically, so this is the first podcast I've done, but this is like the third season of a podcast that I've done, I should say. And, you know, I I got to a point where I was like struggling to like find a co-host and like find like other like creative collaborators to like do this with me that I kind of was just like, you know what? If I do it myself, then whatever. Also, the thing is, like, I feel like for podcasts and also for filmmaking, it, it it's kind of hard to just, like, try it out. You know what I mean? It's hard to yeah. just like, try out, like, working with someone when, like, it costs, like, $10,000 to make even a, de- a semi-acceptable indie film, like, indie short film. And, like, for a podcast, it's, like, you don't you definitely can have like multiple hosts but you also want to make sure that you're creating like a consistent narrative of like consistent hosts that people are like oh i can come to this podcast and like learn to expect these individuals that are going to be speaking yeah no ex- exactly yeah and you know both of my other podcasts, so I, I I had two at one point. The other one doesn't exist anymore. And Diane, if you're listening to this, I know you probably are. I love you. I wish you could do season two with me. But again, it's, it's difficult to, especially because it is a time commitment. And mm-hmm. if you are doing something like what I'm doing, which is basically, and I've talked about this on ArtWise before, I want this to be like a free resource for information. And I want this to be a community where we can all learn from each other and learn from each other's experience because you know, they're like you included, there's so many amazing creatives and artists and, and people out there that have so much experience and information to offer that, you know, like, you wouldn't hear about otherwise. And it's just really, like, it was a huge goal of mine to be able to do something like this. And for a while, too, I was kind of letting the the idea of not having someone with me to do it kind of be like a roadblock but you know once I you know started season two of Artwise and I kind of like was like maybe this is you know better because at least now you know I know that it'll be consistent at least at the very least with me (laughs) because I love making podcasts it's a very big passion of mine I I love it I've always loved it ever since I started and I I would love to have a partner but you know, SOS, it, y'all. SOS <laughs> listeners. If you're, into, if you're into getting into podcasts or filmmaking, <laughs> you know where we are. Yeah. No, it's it's awesome, though. And I really actually, I've really enjoyed doing this by myself. Despite, like, feel, having, like, the want for a partner and, like, having the same, the same kind of thoughts that, like, you were saying that you were having, like, having someone kind of to creatively, like, bounce off of and keep you on track and like out of your head having that's really nice but I've kind of found that also like not having a partner this whole season I've gotten a lot 
more done, I think, because I didn't feel the need to stop what I'm doing every time I make a decision and go, hey, are you okay with this? Are you good with this? I can yeah. just make the decision. And if it's a bad decision, it's on me. It's my my bad. But like, I don't have to like loop someone in, which has been really nice. And like, I've actually found that. And I think that a lot of artists and creatives and people need to probably start doing this. It's honestly, if especially if because I struggle with like getting creative blocks and stuff. I'm, I think everyone who is a creative person does. I, I struggle with it a lot less when I get into that, you know, that rhythm of like, oh, I need someone to critique this for me before I can continue because while critiques are helpful and they can get you to do better, I find that like if I overdo it with like asking people, do you think this is good? I, I get like stuck because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have even thought to do that. And then I get in my head like, oh, why didn't I think to like fix this or do it this way? But when I'm doing it by myself, it's just like, I'm just going to do it and like, it will get done that way and at least it will exist and that's better mm -hmm. than it not existing because I was sitting there agonizing over it but that's like a good a good point to bring up too and I have like the same thoughts too because um my uh, my partner my boyfriend Thomas I'm always like we should do a podcast together and we talk about it because we're both <laughs> okay, very yeah, similar I do <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's a great idea. But I'm also like, how would that go? Because like, I am, it's, it's different. Like being in a relationship with someone is a lot like a romantic relationship with someone is a lot different from like a working relationship. So it's almost kind of like, do I want to even open that can of worms? Because that could be bad. You know, even right. though like, if it becomes like a consistent thing, and you like start like, getting followers and it becomes there's more social pressure to like have exactly. it go a certain direction and then it becomes like less fun that too yeah I firsthand my I had an astrology podcast that was my other podcast does not exist anymore I loved that podcast with my whole heart it was like my What's passion my oh my gosh I'm an Aries rising <laughs> I'm a real rising. Oh, for real? That's good. You should make a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just stick to TikTok. I actually find it very painful because I'm a Libra sun, Libra moon, Leo rising. So I feel like I crave a lot of like the stability. And I'm not like, I'm like a performer, but I also like being in control of like the narrative that I'm putting out. So that's where I think for me, like filmmaking is a good fit. I don't want to be like Leo energy acting with my face, like on film, but I love the idea of like being able to create behind the camera <laughs> because I just can't like let go in that way. But yeah, I mean, I think that for, you know, like public speaking, for example, I love doing that. And I think that that's like definitely a manifestation of like my Leo rising. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm the same way. Aries rising, Libra moon, Sagittarius oh sun. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And it's it's crazy, though, because like I, like I was saying, the astrology podcast that I had, that's ultimately, I think why one of the one of the reasons why it ended is because one of us was comfortable with the fast growth and then the other one was not. <laughs> and, you know, 
it just ended in a ball of fire, but it's fine. <laughs> you know, and yeah, it's it's a lot to it's it's like almost equally as hard to find a life partner and a creative partner because yes. there there has to be like and it's weird because you would you would think that it would be fine to like have the same person be both but <laughs> it's it, it's weird it's just weird like i you know me and not as long as you have been with your partner but my my me and my boyfriend have been together for three years and I still am like, whenever we're like, oh, we should do a project together. I'm like, hmm, I wonder how this is going to go. <laughs> and we've never actually got as far as to like working on a project together. I wish I wish we would just to, like kind of see what happens. But there is like the risk, too, because it's like mm -hmm. podcasts and, you know, like you were saying, filmmaking is a lot of money podcasts. I mean, you could put money into it. I've put money into all of my podcasts. And, I, you know, even if I'm not making that money back, I don't really necessarily mind as long as I feel like internally, like in my head, I'm reaching my goal. But it is like it's a risk. And yeah. You, you could do kind of have to jump into it and just like fingers crossed that it like works out. <laughs> yeah, and I think that as I've been like just getting older, it's been becoming like more and more clear that you can have like emotional vulnerability like with your partner. Mm -hmm. And that is a totally 100% different thing than like creative vulnerability with your partner. Yes. Because, and that's why like it boggles my mind when they're like husband wife or like partner partner duos that like also create together. Yeah. Like, Nolan's, you know, like who is it? Chris Nolan and Lisa Joy. They do like or Lisa Joy's done Westworld, but you know, just even being in the same industry and like just being close on like projects or working on the same projects, it just seems like so much because it's like, how do you respectfully tell your partner that you like don't like their idea? Yeah, <laughs> it being something personal, and I think that that's really where, like, with a a creative partner, that's really more of a business partner. Y'all both come to the table with that understanding of like, you know, we're here to get this project done, and we're ready to kind of like duke it out to make it happen, and nothing is personal. I will quickly share that a little anecdote, which is, as I mentioned, I don't like to be in front of the camera, like on film. I don't like to act exactly, <laughs> but my girlfriend loves to. She's like naturally introverted. She's a Pisces Capricorn Capricorn. <laughs> and she like comes alive being able to act. And we, so we, she's been like an extra or like has little speaking roles in like all of my projects. And we like found out that when it's just me and her and I'm directing her, she does not like that. And we do not get <laughs> along doing that. And I think that it really comes from a place where, again, like the relationship that you build with your partner romantically is very different than like the one that you would build with something, someone over creative expression. Yes, absolutely. I completely, yeah, that's very true. It's it's almost nerve wracking to try and do both. So I wanted to kind of change the subject a little bit because I did want to talk about this before 
we get to the end and I want to have enough time to talk about it. Yeah, no, we're almost at 50 minutes already. It's kind of crazy. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about surveillance capitalism and how it affects us because I had never really heard people talk about that. And I I want to know what your take on that is. And also future creator economies too. We talk, I think we touched on that a little bit, but more like your take on surveillance capitalism, what it is and how it affects us as humans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh gosh. So I really like to think about the birth of like surveillance capitalism around like the two early 2000s, especially around like 9-11, because I think that was like a massive turning point in just how much surveillance we were, we as a society were willing to put up with. But, you know, the surveillance of populations has existed for as long as humans have been around. And if you really think about it, as far as like, you know, going so far back as like just wanting to know how many people were in your society that were these like strong men that could fight in your army, right? All the way from that to what we have now, which is really kind of like this very insidious combination of surveillance as a means of profit through capitalism via the commodification of our very experiences and all of this data that we're just producing by using these free apps and things. It is... It is, in my opinion, like everything that is wrong with Web2. And it has everything to do with the fact that we are living in a society where these gigantic tech monopolies and even big pharma, healthcare, so many of these large monopolized industries are making a profit by flipping a buck on taking your quote unquote anonymized data, which is truly not a real thing. Like it's very easy actually to re-identify you through anonymized data and then to essentially resell that data as part of a multi-billion dollar industry. And this happens within both advertising and big tech, as well as in like big pharma, like when you just go to get your prescription at CVS. So that's, I know this is like just, it's a very broad (laughs) scratching the surface, but you know, I, I in particular would, I highly recommend that if anyone is interested in learning more about surveillance capitalism to please read The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. She is a um, professor emeritus from Harvard and she actually coined this term and has done an amazing job of really describing the ways in which society has both evolved and mutated to permit these systems to exist. And as she expertly discusses in her book, like a massive turning point was 9-11 and was like the Patriot Act. It was like the war on terror because what a lot of people don't know is that prior to 9-11, the FTC was actually planning on regulating Google and basically saying that they shouldn't be allowed to just take your data, that you should be able to access it from Google. You should be able to edit it or delete it if you wanted to. And so you imagine how different the world would look if the FTC had actually put that stake in the ground instead of allowing really like public institutions like the government to use private industries to spy on their citizens. What does that, I'm wondering like, cause I don't, I don't really know a lot about 
surveillance capitalism i watched like i think there was like a netflix documentary or something about it <laughs> like yeah um, there's so many good ones yeah, there was like a few. I remember like I watched one and I was kind of like, oh, that's crazy. And I know like from experience, right? Because like I think everyone I know has had an experience where they have been like talking to someone about something and then the next day they go on Facebook or whatever and there's an ad for what they were talking about and they mm -hmm. didn't search it. They didn't they didn't do a Google search. They didn't do like there was nothing that would have like made Facebook think that they would want to see an ad for this other than if it was like them literally like listening through their phone type stuff. And yeah. I've, I've experienced it. I remember at my old job, like back when I was a graphic designer for a custom t-shirt shop back when I was 18, me and my manager would sit there and we would talk about like music we liked. And we would talk about like this band, uh, <laughs> breathe Carolina I don't know why we talked about breathe Carolina so much but we would talk we would sit there and we would talk about breathe Carolina and then like on our our business Pandora station where it would make literally no sense at all whatsoever for breathe Carolina to be playing mm -hmm. within an hour it would start playing and we would both freak out like somebody's listening to us because there is no way that would be playing on the shop station and it's just like is that is that like surveil? Is that what that is? Like, yes, is that what it very, it very much is that. And I think that I, I have that experience too. I mean, it was literally like last week that Paige and I, my, my girlfriend and I were just like talking about Phantom of the Opera. And then we, she started getting ads on TikTok for Phantom of the Opera. And it was so creepy. And the thing I think about that, as in relation to like Web3, is that, you know, we, we can't like, that underscores the importance of owning our data. And only through blockchain technology and having um, full ownership over your identity through decentralized identity and having full ownership over your data is that made possible. Because right now, like you interact on any app or you download any, any mobile app and you, in order to access the functionality of that app, you have to like give them so much data about where you are, the other apps that are on your phone, and all of this other phone activity, like that has nothing to do with like, I don't know, take um, an app that is just for taking PDFs to PDF pictures of, of stuff. And I think that that, that really harkens to the importance of of web3 as this very radical transformative technology but only if we are willing to ensure that like folks who have that intention are building those technologies right do you think that there's like a risk of this happening with uh web3 as as well because there there are a lot of big players entering web three like from like just big companies kind of like harping in on like you know nfts and like that sort of thing do you think that like that is like a risk and like do you have like any opinions on how we would prevent that from happening in web three what happened with web two yeah i mean that's honestly i think one of the biggest cases for decentralized identity and decentralized data storage of mm -hmm. any of the information that you are creating and unwittingly like leaving behind on websites and all of that. I think that 
uh, a lot of Web2 companies are at the point of you either adapt or you die. And it is really difficult, I think, to be in the position of a company like Meta that has historically made essentially 90, what, 96.8 or something percent of its revenue on advertisements and specifically through the collection, sale, and manipulation of human behavior, right? How are they going to compete in Web3, right? And I think that the the really beautiful and exciting experimental part of Web3 is that we don't know, is that we don't know, but we do know that there is an opportunity right now to educate people about the benefits of decentralization in this new emerging economy where we can actually have more control of our data than ever before. We can have full control over our data. And like I can totally see why that is terrifying to companies like Meta and Google, because that was their entire livelihood was just to like be taking our data from us for free, this thing that we just give them for free in order to use their product, right? So I think that, well, I want to just also add to that. A lot of the criticism that I'll often receive as well when kind of digging into these topics is like folks will sometimes say, well, what if I like the targeted ads? What if I'm actually finding like really helpful things, you know, and discovering cool things like from these targeted ads that like Facebook gives me or Google gives me. And I really want to just heart to express and convey that we can have those nice things. We can have ways of you continually getting like these new different connections that you wouldn't normally have, but like we don't as part of that process need to actually include Google or Facebook as part of that equation. Like this is another aspect of like decentralization, which is like the automation aspect. Like what if, you know, no one ever had to have access to your data? And what if there was an AI that was just, you know, throwing you targeted ads based off of things that you really like and that you wanted to see more of and that you could actually control that AI to say like, hey, can you actually show me more stores that have really awesome vintage clothes that are like within my budget. And no one has to have that information or control except for you. So all of this, so having like the predictive ads and all of that stuff is not something that is necessary through these mega corporations. We can actually create a society in which we can still have those things and hold on to our data. That's really cool. Like I I never... That's awesome. <laughs> I love this conversation. This is not stuff that I think about normally. So, and I, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will feel the same. So last question before we wrap it up, I ask everybody that comes on this, is there any like advice that you would give to maybe like your younger self or like a young creative filmmaker person getting into you know, web three <laughs> or anything that you wish like you would have avoided or done sooner or any advice that someone has maybe given you that you wish you had heard like at an earlier age, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the, okay. As an artist, I will say that one of the best pieces of advice that I had heard about just like staying inspired, which I feel like is always a constant struggle, <laughs> right? Um is the easiest way to stay inspired is to surround yourself with people who are themselves inspired. 
and you kind of end up becoming like this like inspiration leech. <laughs> but then, you know, by the process of you becoming inspired, you're also helping that person become inspired and continue to be inspired. So that's also where I just love being around fellow artists that are like really thinking outside the box. And I think that's also why I really love being in Web3 as well, because I feel like I can come to the table with every facet of myself being fully present. Like there are so many cool applications being built and so many cool projects in every single sector that you could even imagine, right? And I think that what's really beautiful about that is that, and that doesn't get discussed a lot, is the immense power of creativity in Web3 and how we need more creative people in Web3. Because right now we're at a place where the technology is functional now. You know, it's pretty functional. Like every every sort of like layer one project out there is at a place where um like it's not like broken all the time, which is kind of the case <laughs> how it was like several years ago. It's just like, oh my God, it's a blockchain and it works. Wow. We're kind of at this more mainstream place now where the applications actually work. And so I always am super encouraging of any creative person coming into this space because that's really the place that we're at is this massive point for experimentation and, and innovation and where we don't have to be afraid of failing because honestly, no one's freaking done any of this shit before. I, the only other piece of advice that I'll share as just like general really great life advice is to focus on relationships that are not transactional, but that are transcendental. And I, as someone who is in like a very, can be in like a very transactional space of like crypto, I've really held that advice close to my heart. And I've really tried to, you know, if I'm in like a room with like a hundred people, if I just only meet one person that I like really vibe with, that's a win, you know, because fundamentally it's, you will go so much further in this space. You will have so much more longevity in this space by connecting with people that are like like-minded and who want to share the core values that in the core vision that you share, not just, oh, how do I get to like the next step up in my career? And how do I get to like, I don't know, that next tier of having a lot of followers or whatever. So that's what I've learned. <laughs> That's awesome. I I love hearing like the advice that people give like at the end of the episode because everyone always says something completely different and every episode has like its own value. It's just amazing. Sorry, harping on my own podcast. I'm like out here. <laughs> like I love it though. That's the goal with Artwise is creating that community and yeah. We can talk more about that at the end, but now it's self-promo time, so <laughs> whatever you want to promote uh, your social medias how people can contact you any way they can support you projects you're working on literally anything businesses services whatever now's the time <laughs> okay well you can definitely find me on tiktok at decentralized future i'm also on twitter at nicole h tay and my last plug will be for the Near Foundation funding platform. So um, I 
am the strategy and communications lead, so IE like marketing, for the Near Foundation and all of its funding channels. So really what that means is like if you are building a cool project in Web3, a community project, a cool NFT project, a doing something cool with a DAO or building a decentralized app. Like we do everything from grants to seed funding and beyond in terms of like bootstrapping your project. And I have a very special place in my heart for really evangelizing this technology among members of marginalized communities. So if you know anyone or know like a group of folks that really want to get into this space and bootstrap their project, like please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Like I am so excited to talk with anyone about this stuff. Like it is honestly like my life passion and I could not imagine myself doing anything else. That's awesome. So I will include everything that you just talked about in the episode description for easy access for everyone who's listening. So that about wraps up this episode. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being on. This was such a good episode. I learned so much. Yay! I'm so happy. Thank you so much for having me and for honestly like putting out that call. See, that's that's the thing. Like you may have gotten hate from 60,000 people, <laughs> but we got to be connected as a result. Oh, it was so worth it. I it was I was upset for like two days. I was really upset for two days. And then I was like, it was worth it. It's fine. Thank you. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. For everyone listening, we have an Instagram at Artwise Podcast. Uh, has some behind the scenes stuff and episode announcements. And there's also a link to our Discord server there. So some of the guests will be on the Discord server. I don't know if you're interested in that. I can give you the link <laughs> when we're done. But we will have like the Discord server link in the Instagram. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, five stars really helps us out. But yeah, thank you so much again, Nicole. And I will see everyone again next Tuesday. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>